Punching Holes in the Darkness is a podcast by the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. It's an opportunity for pastors and leaders in Michigan churches to have their voices heard and to share how to best reach our mission field from Detroit to the Upper Peninsula. Friends, we want to welcome today uh, One Mission TV as our sponsor here at uh, Punching Holes in the Darkness podcast. They have been an invaluable partner with us since I've come here to uh, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. What they effectively have done is they took all of our media resources and we put them together in this one neat package that One Mission TV takes care of. They're just doing an admirable job for us and have really taken us to a different level in our media work. Here's some things they've done for us. They've done web design, they can do logo design, design for print materials, and of course, any kind of video presence and, and recording you'd like to do. And uh, they've really helped us enhance our online presence as they can for you. Great guys, great partners. You will be glad you have done this. They're really a one call media company and I think you'll be blessed by using One Mission TV. And friends, if you want to contact One Mission TV, you can do so at info at onemission.tv. That's info at onemission.tv. Welcome again to the podcast, Punching Holes in the Darkness, the Baptist State Convention of Michigan podcast. Today, we're continuing a conversation that we started in our last podcast with some of our fellow pastors, African-American pastors and others, about what is going on in our nation and uh, the prejudice and the racism, and, and which has been precipitated by some of the ungodly things that happen in the killing of, of innocent people. It's just broken our hearts here in Michigan. It breaks my heart. And we just wanted to continue that conversation and talk a little bit about what we can do as pastors and leaders and as a convention to make a difference. If we're truly going to punch holes in the darkness, this is one of these areas of darkness that we've got to punch and we've got to address it. And we can't just say, well, it'll take care of itself because it will not. We must, we must, we must be proactive. So on the show today, again, we have uh, Larry Johnson, who is at Middle Belt uh, Baptist Church over in Inkster, a uh, great pastor and leader, and Ken Neither, who is at Crossover in Southfield. Uh, he's no longer in that real ritzy area. He's, he's in Southfield. He's in the midst of it. And then we have uh, Roy Henry, who's at Faith Baptist in Battle Creek. Mike Durbin, who is our uh, Director of Strengthening Ministries and Evangelism here at the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. And then we have Cornelius Roberson, who is at Heart and Soul there in the heart and soul of Detroit. And uh, we love you guys. Thank you for taking your time uh, away from your busy schedules and your families and your ministries to be with us today. So as we did in our last podcast and we had conversations, uh, we were talking about how we can do some things to implement change and some procedures we could follow. So I'm going to go back to Ken Neither if I can. And you came out with a list of things that you kind of walked through with us in the last podcast. Could you just very quickly go through that list quickly? And then maybe we'll just address them a little more deeply uh, than we did last time, if you could. Do you mind doing that for us, Ken? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, so these are some things to consider because this is the question we all have. What next? What do we do from here? And so it's not just a, a conversation. So here's some things I think we can implement all churches uh, in their church to be able to make progress. Number one is listen. Um, you know, for me, as an African-American pastor, when some of my Caucasian friends call me on the phone, hey, what do you want me to do? Or, I'm not necessarily looking for a solution. I just want to know, will you listen? And then number two, lament. Enter in. Again, you might not know George Floyd or any other people who lost their lives, but I want you to think of me and my kids, Kennedy and Lincoln. I want you to think that it was me who lost the life because now it becomes more tangible. You're actually entering in. And then after that, it is learn. Let's learn together. That might be going through a book together, a curriculum, a resource. Let's have conversations together. Uh, one of the things to consider is look through your text messages the last week. Who are you texting? And does everybody look like you? And then lastly, let's leverage. Let's leverage our power and allow opportunities for minorities or people who may be different than you to speak into programs and initiatives that you may have. So again, listen, lament, learn, and leverage. Yeah, that's great stuff. And we are going to be taking those, those very ideas and moving forward with those here at the state level and uh, create some listening opportunities. Uh, I think our podcast is one of those. It's a good point. It's a good place to listen. There are some other opportunities we have, and we want to do that. Uh, lament. Absolutely. Identify with and understand and, and put yourself in that position or put your dear brother or someone else in that position so that you can identify um, more accurately with it. And we've got to learn how to deal with this, guys. We've got to learn and we've got to learn each other and then do something by leveraging our positions and our places so that we can move this thing forward. Uh, that's, a, that's a great word, God. Thank you so much, Kim, for doing that. Hey, listen, one of the things that has come up and has been addressed at, at different times, I, I understand the protest. In fact, I'm 100% behind it. I think you need to. I think you need to take a stand. You need to make voice heard. Our nation has been built on that. When, th when inequities arise, when injustice is prevalent, you must st state it. You must raise your voice. And I think that these protests are one of the ways that it does it. Uh, and it, 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 it really attracts the media. It attracts the attention you need. It gives voice to it. And I, am, I strongly support that. And I, and I think it's one of the keys of what we have in our freedoms of America and the country in which we live. Uh, you can't do this in a lot of countries. And our very nation was founded on these very kinds of principles of protest and making your voice heard. Uh, it was Thomas Jefferson who said uh, a little revolution now and again doesn't hurt anything. And you need that to rise up against that which is wrong. So, uh, I, again, I, I'm going to say we're supportive of the voices that are being out there and proclaim we're supportive of the protest but one of the things that has come up what happens when they go south on us guys when they um when they turn into riots and people start abusing properties and other people in their it seems like their own community i i, I don't quite understand that um and maybe you can help me and speak to that and and voice your heart and your concern with that as well. So I, I'm going to ask Larry, if, if you wouldn't mind, would, would you kind of speak to that a bit and tell me what you think and give your perspective on that and how we might deal with it? 
let me say this. I believe all the pastors on here would fundamentally agree that when you start destroying property and destroying things, it is just, it's wrong. It's sin. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need Absolutely. to nuance that. I think we need to look at pathologies. Uh, prior to me becoming a pastor, I worked in lockup facilities for teen boys. And uh, at night, eight grown boys, 16, 17, would say, uh, pa uh, Mr. Johnson, can you leave my light on all night? Now, this guy could have committed attempted murder, armed robbery, right? But can you leave my light on all night? And, you know, at that time, I was what do you, what do you need your light on for? And then uh, eventually I figured out they keep their light on because many of them have been abused when they were younger. And their light, in some ways, let them know everything was going to be safe. And so it was a pathology behind why a 17-year-old, 18-year-old boy would want his light on. And I looked at the surface instead of going beneath the surface to the problem. When you see African-Americans, and in this case, some Caucasians came, often that's pain. And, and when you can't, you can't, it's trauma, it's pain. And when you can't go to the person that's who at fault, who you would see as the government, then you hurt your own people. Yeah. You hurt your own people. It's what you get when a person's molested and then they molest others or, Correct. or uh, you know, it, to us, it doesn't make sense, but to them, I just need to get this pain out. And often you get it out on people that you love the most. Right. And so, um, I think that's what you see now. Um, yeah. and I think that to take a surface level, Oh my gosh, they shouldn't be doing this, but don't go to the pathology behind or the causality I think would be unwise. Right. And I, I believe you're, you're exactly right. One pastor I heard uh, addressing this was an African-American pastor. He said, he said, you know, lost people do what lost people do. Mm -hmm. When they don't have a savior, when they don't have a hope, yeah. when all they have is hurt and hate, yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. So the, way I, the way I see it, guys, if we're going to change anything we have to change those hearts this ought to motivate us to be more involved in evangelizing our inner cities in our urban centers in our our metropolitan areas more than we ever had before this ought to tell us we must be about the business of giving help and hope of jesus to those who desperately need it because mm -hmm. all they know is what they've ever experienced, and it's abuse and misuse and all the dirt and the hurt that they've experienced, and that comes out when you get pressure on them. Uh, yeah. One pastor said, you know, when you put a tea bag in hot water, you mm -hmm. know what comes out? What's inside? Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly what happens here. When there's no hope inside, hopelessness and hurt and hate comes out. So uh, that's a good Good perspective, Larry. Thank you for that, man. I, I appreciate that. Uh, Cornelius, you got any insight on that, brother? I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear your heart on yeah. that. My middle son told me one time, Dad, why do you act like unsaved people are saved? Um, Sometimes we assume, because we know the gospel, we preach the gospel, we attend seminary and, and understand dialogue, but uh, the unsaved don't understand. They have no spiritual man or woman awakening them at all. So they are, uh, they are media driven, they are uh, corona stay at home. I heard more people saying, now because I gotta stay at home, I'm miserable. I gotta do something. I'm, I'm anxious, I'm ex this anxiety, this, this, this frenzy going on. And then the, the, the brother Floyd, and I agree, I never met him and I would never want anybody 
sustain what he went through losing his life for ten dollars. That's not <laughs> worth it. But yet and still to to destroy the Nike store downtown in Detroit that we were even rebuilding. See, they don't understand we have been rebuilding the city of Detroit for years. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if you guys remember. I'm a 60 baby, okay? Yeah, I remember yeah. after the riots of the 60s happened and everything, all the businesses left Detroit. But Detroit was almost like a ghost town. And then we went through the financial cabaco. Then we went through the uh, foreclosure. Then we, we went through all of those dramas in Detroit, man. We have faced so many. Then the mayor went to a federal penitentiary. <laughs> so if the mayor's in jail, the people out of control, what's going on in our society in Detroit is the question. Nobody is evangelizing. I agree with you. We need to take the word of God out to the people to tell them there's a God uh, that loves you, who's full of grace, who's full of mercy, he's full of hope. And, and for African-American in, in our generation, um, um, God was everything. God, we, we may not have financial, we may not have material, but we knew we could go to church. We knew we could run a church and hear the word of God, of encouragement, of uh, that's where all the pretty girls were at church. And so we <laughs> in church and we got involved with basketball leagues and football leagues and softball leagues. And, and so now the church have said, you know, um, that costs too much. We want to do away with all of that. We want to focus more on internal structure. And I understand that, but sometimes we omit the most precious thing there is, that new convert coming through the door, don't know Jesus. And, and those who are needing uh, after school, we were trying to do after school programming to get the kids off the street. Listen, we have always preached, worry about the cops. Get our kids mm -hmm. off the streets into programs where they can uh, do their little video games. We can do after school programming, schoolwork, homework. We need to make the church the hub of the community again. And I think I, can, I know our community is screaming. One thing Ken said about the, um, the, the four concepts of the ministry, when we started Heart and Soul Community Church, we asked Anglo Brothers to come and join us to when we began. So when you come into our church, you may think, oh, it's a black pastor, it's a black church. But when you go in there, you may be surprised of what you see. And it wasn't out of, it was out of necessity, not out of conviction. It was people who wanted to show that Anglos and Blacks or Black and Whites, or I just call them my brothers and sisters, yep. all right, can get together, have great times. So we develop potluck. So you can bring your little meal in, and, and then here come some Arabic people from the Coptic church come in with their baklavash and all their rice dishes. And so <laughs> around our church, it's looking like, wow, this is a prelude to heaven. This must be what heaven was going to sound like, look like, and we are just blessed in mm. our small con uh, community to see that. One point in time, they thought Heart and Soul was a white church. And you guys <laughs> I see a lot of white people coming out of your church. What a great testimony. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> we didn't plan it that way. God ordained it that way. Some of our leadership sits on our board right now. So as pastors, we have to be smarter than the world. We have Absolutely. to be smarter than the world and, and understand there's some great brothers and sisters out there who don't look like us, who were willing to come in. They may not have much, but, you know, it's like if you got a pole and I got a line and you got some worms, then, brother, we can fish. 
And and that's the concept we kind of pulled together, heart and soul. And it works. It, if you go to our Facebook page and look at some of our pictures, you'll see kids from every color, every you know age group, every bracket, adults, because we don't play with the world. We mm. have to let the world have its own and let God's people have God's people, guys, out. And more than anything else, more than anything in my heart is that we should not be known for bigotry or hatred like the world. We should know about love, compassion, concern. Uh, we're going to marry and we're going to bury some folks up in here. And um, we grew so much at one point, we had to put Velcro on the outside of our building so it could keep expanding and contrasting. <laughs> we just love it. We love what God is doing there. Friends, I want to introduce to you one of our new partners. It is GuideServe. They are our financial partner who helps us take care of all of our nickels and noses, so to speak. Uh, GuideServe is an outsourced accounting partner for our Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Uh, GuideServe provides professional accounting solutions to churches and ministries all across the country. And they offer, they truly offer some comprehensive accounting and payroll solutions to organizations ranging from a just beginning church plant to large churches and expansive ministries. And listen, if you'd like to know more about them, you can visit their website at guideserve.com or send them an email at info at guideserve.com. And by the way, if you mention BSCM, uh, when you do, it'll be a benefit to us as well. So. Welcome our new partner, GuideServe. The church at one time was the heart of the community. And when the church is no longer the heart of the community, the community begins to break down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, we've seen that happen in every area, guys, in all of our communities. Uh, Ken, do you want to speak a little bit to that, if you don't mind? Yes. Well, I'm the millennial of the group, so all of you have probably lived through things that I didn't see, to be honest with you. But one of the things I, I do know, again, when it comes to educating ourselves, that during the civil rights movement, the pastor was in the neighborhood. I think that's very important. And so I think what's going on right now is Jesus would not be in a church building right now. Mm, right. Jesus right. would be in the streets right now. Mm. And so one of the things I think about when it comes to looting and when it comes to protesting and rioting, and we talked about um, the disparity of that and, you know, protesting is good, but when it goes another way, you know, that becomes sin and what we're doing. However, one of the things I've been thinking about, are we providing as churches an alternative? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing to think about yeah. because we should be out there. Listen, the, the kingdom of darkness has a strategy. They're strategic. Absolutely. We're unified. Absolutely. And we need to come together and be unified because as Cornelius and Pastor Larry, you would understand this because specifically I know both of your hearts in athletics, when you're taking away the basketball hoops, when you're taking away all the community centers, what is left? Yeah. yeah. What is left? So for me, I've, to be honest with you, I've never dealt with racism um, overtly being pulled over, I dealt with racism in athletics. I had an opportunity to play overseas and um, I went to Russia for a while. And I remember being on the basketball court and bananas coming down on the basketball court when I was shooting a free throw. 
And my teammate would tell me, Ken, it's probably better that you don't, that you don't learn the language. Because if you knew the language, you would know what they're saying about you right now. Mm-hmm. And so for Man. me, I just knew how to order food. <laughs> that was it. Morosionet meant ice cream. That, that's it. He just meant fries. That's, that's about my, that's it. That's good. Paul Diaz, that means please. That is about it. <laughs> the Russian that I know. And so for me, getting into the squabbles, and I know you guys can identify, that was because playing basketball, I was called the N-word, you know? And so me dealing with racism a lot was in athletics because mm-hmm. you have myself being a 20-year-old being shot across the country in Russia, Russia by myself when, to be honest with you, this I mean, when I'm walking down the street, all you see is people doing a double take and saying things about me, it didn't hurt as much because I didn't know what they were saying. And then I just yeah. realized I don't want to know what they're saying. I got it. So when we think about looting and although that's wrong, the reason why I think we really don't like it because it's actually someone taking someone else's property that doesn't belong to them. And as much as that makes you upset, as it makes the world upset, which is wrong, if we're more upset about someone stealing a computer than someone's life, I think that lies the problem. And so I'm thinking through as our church for crossover, what can like right now I'm on a computer, which is great to have these conversations, but we need to get out and mobilize and give people an alternative. So we're actually doing a prayer march uh, coming next Saturday where we're just going to pray together. And my hope is for white churches, black churches, yellow, brown, whoever, because it's about the blood of Jesus and, and the world needs to see the church unified all on the same team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll give you a little, a little story in my experience when I was in Florida periodically there would be these racial tensions come up in school in high school, particularly, and they got into big fights in school and it was all racial. It was all, it was a mess. The way we dealt with it is the African-American pastors and me and a couple of other white pastors, we would go to school and we would literally walk hand in hand down the halls of the school an African-American pastor and a white pastor. And all we had to do was walk down the hall and show up. And it stopped that noise. It just stopped it Uh, because they saw their pastors walking together and their pastors addressing it by their presence in the midst of the mess. And I, I believe that's what one of the things, exactly what you were talking about. We have to be out there in it if we're, they're going to see us uh, together with this. And so I think that's a good thing. I, I really do. Uh, and, and it's a great way to address the issue. Um, Mike Durbin, I'm going to give you, if you wouldn't mind, give me a little perspective. You were back here in the 60s. So Mike, why don't you tell us a little bit about your perspective of, of experience in those things? Of course, I live and was born in Michigan. Back in 1968, there was the, the riots that took place in Detroit. We, at the time, were living in Flint, Michigan. And, of course, I, I was just a child. You know, I would have been seven or eight years old, but it's uh, uh, still imprinted in my mind what it was like to see a city turn upon itself. And I remember our parents, uh, you know, locking the doors and, and, and being afraid. This racial injustice terrifies 
people. It really became real to me again the other day in a prayer meeting. We had about 20 people. We gathered together just to pray for our nation. And one of our African-American pastors, he, he was praying, and we're all horrified what happened to Floyd, uh, George Floyd. And in his prayer, he said, well, now imagine that that knee is on my neck. And man, that touched me. Tears welled in my eyes because I love that, brother. I know him. And, and, and I thought about the injustice that so many people have experienced over the years. And this is a time for us to reach out to one another. This is a time for us to understand one another, to love one another, because absolutely nobody anywhere in the world, anywhere, deserves to be mistreated, deserves to have a, 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 a knee on their neck till they, they die. And this, this touched me. And if I can help some way in uh, bringing some hope to this world, the hope of the gospel, for reconciliation, for uh, prejudice to be destroyed, I want to be numbered in that, in that group. I want to be, be among those who are solving the situation. I don't want another child to grow up uh, seeing images like I did when I was seven or eight years old that, that scared us mm-hmm. because God loves us all. And there is a message of hope for this world, the hope of the gospel. Absolutely. Uh, In that same prayer meeting, Michael, I heard a pastor say, we need to love people like Jesus loved people, and he loved all people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what we've got to be about, guys. Hey, Roy, why don't you just speak to us? I know you've kind of been quiet and silent in the background back there, uh, which is probably a good thing for most of us. But anyway, why don't you share a little bit of your heart with us on this and give us a perspective on that as well? Sure, I'll I'll speak very briefly. My perspective in this is I've I've been trying to follow what James 1 tells us, which is to be slow to speak and quick to hear. And the reality is that in my context, I I don't know what I don't know. And I have to be careful not to have such hubris as to believe that I actually know all that I need to know. And I think that that's one of the challenges that we have uh, within the Anglo church. We don't know what we don't know. There's, there's, that's clear, but we act like we do. Mm-hmm. And that is yep. what is creating such uh, a, uh, a lack of communication between us. We're not willing to listen to one another. I grew up in Northeast Georgia in the mountains of Southern Appalachia. And the county that I grew up in was uh, what I would call lily white. According to census data, it was over 99% Caucasian. Uh, There were no other, there weren't people that didn't look like me. And that was just the way it was. But what I witnessed among my peers, amongst my elders, was extreme prejudice and racism against people that they had not only didn't know, but frankly, many of them had never met in life. They had these misconceptions and uh, uh, just horrific ideas about what the African-American community was like, what African-Americans were like. And it infuriated me as a kid, as a teenager, listening to my friends, 
use the N word. It's a word I've, I don't use. I've never used. I hate hearing it. It gives me a visceral reaction when I hear it uh, because it's such a degrading word. Yeah. And I, I knew the heart from which it was being spoken. Uh, it's, it's, it's awful. But one of the things that's really been hitting me hard over the last few years is this, as I, as I look at our churches, as we partner together, as we do things together, um, and, and frankly, how sometimes we're not doing as much together as we should. It's that we're, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're proclaiming to the world that the gospel is transformative, that it changes lives, it breaks down barriers, it creates one family of God, and yet we don't act like it. We act like there's a family of God over here and a family of God over yeah. here and a family of God over here. Brother Cornelius, I loved hearing what you were talking about with heart and soul and that idea that, you know, it was a foretaste of heaven. Uh, that's something that I've said to our congregation here at Faith many times, that one day there's going to be people gathered around the throne of God from every race, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue, and they're going to be praising God together, and it's going to be a joyous, glorious moment where it's not everybody the same. Mm -hmm. It's such diversity, such beauty in that, uh, that, that God has, has brought that together. Um, yeah. If, if we're not living as our churches the evidence of the transformation that the gospel brings, then we're going to have a really hard time convincing the lost that the gospel can bring transformation. Absolutely. And Roy, you're, you're dead on with all yeah. of that. I'd, I'd love to talk with you more about it and hear more about it. But guys, we're, we're basically out of time. And uh, we're going to continue this conversation in another podcast in the future and maybe have different, maybe individual come on with us and talk with us about these things. But until then, I want to say thank you, gentlemen, for your, for your open, honest uh discussion with us today. I'm hoping it will be helpful to many of our pastors and leaders throughout our state and across the country as we talk about the real issues and we begin to do some tangible things to make a difference in how we truly punch holes in the darkness of Michigan. This has been Punching Holes in the Darkness, a podcast from the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. If you have liked this episode, please rate us and leave a review. That will help others to find us and enjoy these conversations too. And if you subscribe, you will be notified when new episodes are available. Join us next time as we help Michigan churches punch holes in the darkness.